You're listening to Hometown, a podcast by Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Migration Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Here on Hometown, we seek to build a community of welcome by sharing interviews, stories, and actions that you can take to advocate for our newest neighbors. Thank you for being with us. Hi, I'm Stephanie Whitehouse, the program assistant for EMM's new Neighbor to Neighbor program. On this episode of Hometown, I'm speaking with members of Neighbor to Neighbor's own St. John's Norwood Sponsor Circle team, doing the critical work of welcome with individuals arriving in their communities. I speak with the Reverend Ann Dursey, Deacon and Minister for Community Engagement, as well as St. John's parishioners, Melanie Folstadt and Rick McCumber, husband and wife team leads for the St. John's Norwood Neighbor to Neighbor Sponsor Circle team. Thank you so much for being with me today. So to give our listeners a little bit of context, you are a team that is in the final stages of community sponsorship with your parish team. So I would love to hear how you all pulled together to form a team and ultimately a partnership with the Neighbor to Neighbor program. So I'll, I'll kick it off here. Um, so uh, we have been, our church in particular has been involved in refugee resettlement for the last several years, and it seems it's an area that we're we're just really very passionate about, and collectively our congregation really um, comes together around around trying to help our, our new neighbors. And so when we learned about all of the new um, people who would be arriving from Afghanistan, we recognized also that the infrastructure at so many of the resettlement agencies was just not going to be sufficient to help with all of this. So given that we had a significant amount of experience resettling in the past, we felt like perhaps we could be up for the task of giving this a shot. So um, Anne actually brought this opportunity to our attention because we were eager to be matched with a family and it wasn't happening obviously with the organization that we had previously um, partnered with. So we, um, she told us about the sponsor circles and then connected us with the neighbor to neighbor program. And, and maybe Anne, I'll let you take it from there and how you kind of heard about it and, and helped us to make that connection. Well, St. John's has been working for many years, as Melanie mentioned, with refugees, and we've connected on several projects with uh, Episcopal Migration Ministries. Um, and we wanted to take advantage of this new program because it was uh, set up to address an immediate issue. All of the refugee resettlement agencies, the traditional refugee resettlement agencies, as you know, were really overwhelmed by this sudden influx of new uh, refugees. And so this program promised um, a fairly rapid uh, stand-up. And I was very pleased when we first contacted EMM about the rapidity with which uh, the Sponsor Circle Community Sponsorship Hub responded. And the very clear direction on the website, it was excellent. I think Melanie and Rick will confirm that all the information we needed was there. And of course, I was really grateful that our lay leaders at St. John's are so committed to this ministry and that they were able to connect. And uh, maybe Rick would want to talk a little bit about that connecting experience uh, with Sponsor Circle because it was very positive for the, for the most part, right, Rick? Absolutely. Um, 
and I think we were one of the first uh, to sign up and get matched with a family. I think uh, we were one of the early ones. And so um, I, I agree that they had a, uh, a website with a, a very lengthy, I don't know, it was a well over 100 page PDF training program. And we went through that and we had to get, you know, background checks and we had to get uh, other uh, training and it was all available online. And we were able to quickly identify a team internally within our church um, to, for the five that we needed to sign up to get uh, to get started and to, and to file the application. Uh, I believe it was back in December that we uh, put our application in. Um, and it was only after a few weeks of uh, initially you know, learning about the program. So uh, I, I was impressed with how quickly uh, they were able to get things set up, given the, the massive uh, influx that happened, um, you know, in uh, September timeframe, late August. Yes, from what we hear, a lot of a lot of parishes were kind of surprised at how easy the onboarding process was to get everything started. Um, and so all of this, of course, stems from a greater calling, a greater mission. Um, so how does this how does this work, especially with welcoming families align with your your faith? I can take that one, and, and I'm sure Rick and Ann can add a lot to what I offer, but um, it, it, it is a, a very big part of what we, we, we say we believe, and then we truly do believe in terms of welcoming the stranger. Um, I know it's what really brought Rick and me to our church, I guess, what, 15 years ago, maybe close to 20 years years ago so um in that it, it, first of all they welcomed us and and ever since then it has just been a, a growing a ministry to look outside of just the walls of our church into our community both locally but also globally you know this is this is what what we're supposed to be doing this is what what god has called for us so um uh ann and rick i mean you you probably can say this much more articulately than I can. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to add to that, Melanie, and you were very articulate, and I completely agree with you. Uh, the, 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 the church has many great ministries, but this one particularly resonates with me because it brings together some of the most basic uh, values of our faith. And I have to say, it's not just our faith, it's faith generally. All of our great faith traditions uh, have a strong belief in the importance of welcoming the stranger and stand, we use the word stranger, but I think what we really mean is, you know, someone coming from a different background, a different culture, a different life experience than we do. And uh, welcoming people who are uh, coming from that different background. I mean, the, just look at the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. It's, it's simple. So standing with the stranger is a great faith value across faith traditions. But also we believe in standing with those who are oppressed, with those who are vulnerable, with those who are marginalized. And in almost every situation with a refugee, they're coming from a very difficult background. They're coming from a situation of conflict. They're coming from a situation of extreme poverty. Um, and we're called on to stand with these folks. And we also believe that the, the body of humanity is enriched by this diversity and that in welcoming it and cultivating it and learning from it, we all, we all do better. And we all are better people of faith. Yes, that, that was excellent, Anne. Thank you. Um, I guess the only other uh, thing I can add is, you know, I think uh, faith and spirituality is very uh, individual. Uh, it's very unique for each uh, person. 
And um, for me personally, I feel closest to God and most spiritual when I'm help doing outreach and helping others. Um, and that's why we're attracted to St. John's. It's a very um, action-based uh, faith. And um, there's tons of opportunities to be able to, to, to reach out and help. And that's, like I said, when I feel most spiritual. Yes, and I think it's very important to also build a team who also shares in that same, um, that same calling, that same passion. Um, can you describe a little bit about what your team uh, looked like, how the roles were kind of assigned, and um, the work that you ultimately did as a team? So starting, starting from the beginning and then kind of over time, what services were you providing and what did that look like as a team? Sure, sure. No, it was, I, I'm not surprised and yet I'm always so and wonderfully um, overjoyed because when I put out a plea for help, immediately it gets answered. And I always think, oh my gosh, we're never going to be able to meet the needs. And and I don't know why at this point I haven't caught on that that's just not the case. <laughs> um, so um, in, in our particular situation, we needed a team of five and it was fairly easy in that I had Anne brought this to us, so I knew that we had Anne on board, and I know I can talk my husband into almost anything, so I had my husband, <laughs> so we're already at three, so we only need a few more. Um, I had recently been working with several other members of our congregation on a food distribution program that we initiated during COVID and became very friendly with another parishioner there who was, um, I'll say, I shouldn't say was, is, just extremely organized and very good at, um, at, at process. So I quickly tapped on her shoulder and she came with her husband. So we got another two right there. And then, and then lastly, um, we have um, in our, at St. John's, what we call koinonia groups. And so these are groups of parishioners that are kind of randomly assigned, but that get together socially every so often just to enjoy one another's company. And one of the women in our koinonia group um, is, um, again, just a, a really lovely woman who cares a lot about these same things that we do. And she's also somebody who's very um, familiar with process. She has a lot of experience in, in government and um, and, and, and um, healthcare. And so even though she technically sort of doesn't live in the same geography anymore, although she comes to this area quite regularly, we tagged her to be sort of our paperwork person. And so, she, and she was absolutely perfect for that. I mean, I can't even imagine. She'd take the notes for all of our meetings. She does all of our report writing, does it, beyond above and beyond <laughs> what I think anybody ever would have expected. So um, so so we quickly had our group and 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 that was what allowed us to move forward and complete our application, got our background checks. We then sent out sort of a call for other volunteers to help us with some of the functional areas. And they have been absolutely so important and valuable team members as well. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll let Anne and Rick talk a little bit more about, uh, about what they've been doing. Yes, I would like to um, have Rick talk about the management of the teams because he's done such a great job at that. But I wanted to add to what Melanie said that we also made a decision that we wanted to reach out beyond the walls of our church. And we were seeking 
uh, partnerships with other faith communities. We'd done that successfully in working with another uh, Afghan family that was sponsoring to another organization. And so uh, I was aware of a Methodist church near us that was very interested in helping refugees, but wasn't perhaps prepared yet. They'd never uh, taken on a family on their own, but they wanted to help. We invited them to join us as part of our team. And that has been a remarkably uh, fruitful partnership. We've had a lot of talent and a lot of support, you know, volunteers and uh, donations have come our way from that group. And we built new relationships um, through, our, uh, through our cooperation on this project in our community, between our faith communities. So I highly recommend that when people uh, undertake these kinds of sponsorships, they consider whether there might not be other faith communities that they could reach out to and work with, because it's, uh, it's good on so many fronts and it brings so many positive benefits. Yeah, we were um, extremely lucky uh, in our recruiting process. I don't not, I'm not sure it was intentional or not, but we we, uh, we had a tremendous team. And one thing that really makes a team uh, work efficiently is to be able to uh, break up all these tasks that need to be accomplished into se several areas and assign ownership uh, to these tasks. And um, I'll just quickly run down the, the different areas we had. Um, so we had one group in charge of just the home, the whole everything about the home associated with the home, finding the rent the apartment. Um, we actually had to uh, get them an Airbnb because we didn't have an apartment ready when they um, when the, we were notified. Um, furnishing the home and um, you know setting up utilities for the home. So everything associated with home was one team. Uh, we had another team uh, in charge of culture and community. Um, that team was actually just basically coordinating. Um, all the other tasks to make sure that uh, they were able to, uh, the family was able to integrate into to our culture and community in our area uh, because it was so foreign to them. We had a, a team dedicated to food, to uh, another team for public services and benefits. We had a team dedicated to health. Um, we had a team assigned to citizenship because um, there's a lot involved there in getting them uh, with proper visas and so on. Uh, then we had uh, an education team, both uh, focusing on the children education and the parent education. We had a team dedicated to employment, another one on transportation, uh, clothing, technology, personal finance, which is a big deal, uh, obviously. Um, and then uh, fundraising and expenses. So we had all these different teams. Um, and there were leaders, you know, of our five, I think our expanded team was around seven or eight. Um, and we, you know, had team leads um, assigned. So there were obviously some leads that had multiple um, areas uh, that they had to be responsible for. Uh, but we had uh, weekly meetings and we walked through the status and the, and the tasks for each of these areas and the team leads would, you know, go around the room. And it was just so, like I said, amazing that uh, we had a team where these leads, you could just give them these really difficult tasks and they would run with it um, and be able to uh, own that that issue. Obviously, they would reach out for help of uh, within the other team leads as well as uh, find experts in the areas because learning uh, legal, um, all the legal issues of trying to get citizenship is a real you know challenging task. So uh, that, that was how our team was structured. I'd like to add just one thing to what Rick said. That was a great summary, Rick. Thank you. Um, it sounds daunting, doesn't it, when you hear about all these teams, this team for this, team for that, team for the other. It's not. It's really not. And, and 
these teams in some cases were maybe two people, one or two people who were able to take on a discrete area of activity. And by breaking it down this way, um, it made it very possible for so many busy people to get involved in this work. So I just wouldn't want anybody to think that it's such a, it's a gigantic and daunting effort. It, indeed, it's not. And I remember with one of our very first families at St. John's, it was a family of four from Gaza, asylum seekers, when we were still sort of neophytes in this work. Um, basically, I and one other parishioner, you know, did the, the, the bulk of the work with the help of others in our congregation. Um, and it's quite possible. And the one other thing I would say is the people you're helping, any degree of help that you can give them is going to be better than just going it on their own. And that's really a fundamental point. Uh, for people to settle successfully in a new culture, a brand new life, particularly after coming from a situation of trauma, which virtually all refugees do, they really need someone to walk with them and be a community for them and be a partner and a friend for them. And it's as much that moral support as the tangible support in getting into the SNAP system or getting their citizenship or finding a house. It's that community that you, that you can provide as a faith community in particular, but other sorts of communities can too, that can make the difference in a successful resettlement or an unsuccessful one. So any degree of assistance you can give is going to be helpful. But as you heard from Rick, um, this team, I think is just, I've been so impressed and amazed at how we've been able uh, to help, not just one, but actually two families, right guys? Yeah, and I think just to kind of piggyback on that, we as a team really has as our mantra to get them to be self-sufficient. So um, it was very quickly um, easy to like in the clothing area, you know, take them out for a few times to get the clothing, show them where the, where the stores are, they have the good deals, um, show them about, and, you know, tricks and techniques for saving money. Maybe Walmart has better uh, prices sometimes or, or Goodwill even. And uh, I think after just a couple, three visits, they were able to do that on their own. So, the, you know, the clothing team uh, was important, but um, all of our team uh, leaders really like try to uh, teach them to be self-sufficient as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And I think a huge part of this work really is building community. Um, and so with building community comes its very great rewards, but also some challenges. So can you speak to a bit about um, some of the challenges you faced either as a team or individually, but also, you know, something that made you excited and made you, you know, kind of revitalized in the work and something that would help you, you know, keep going? Definitely more successes and happy stories than, than not. I mean, that's without a question, this is... Um, this is a very positive experience, but we also went into it knowing that um, that we all come from different backgrounds with different thoughts about how things should be done. And we're going to be working with a family that comes from a very different background who has different thoughts about. And so we know there's going to be um, and, and conflict is not the word, but just not necessarily complete consensus or um, uh, agreement on on and everything but that's I mean that's 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 life right that happens all over the place and we do it all very respectfully and we know everybody's coming to this with absolutely the best of intentions that we all want the same end game which is for our family to thrive and and to to really um, feel a, a, a part of our their new community 
Um, I mean, I, the first thing that comes to mind, and it was one that was, it was a fairly minor issue, and it was one that was resolved, I think, fairly quickly, you know, just um, with our family, their, the, their younger child was um, getting used to their new diet, and um, probably eating things that we didn't all agree that a two-year-old should be eating, right? <laughs> and so, um, uh, and so the mom and me and the mom and dad and, and some of the other team members were like, oh, they shouldn't be eating that. <laughs> but, you know, we also recognize that this is, this is not our two-year-old. And while we love this little fella just as much as we possibly can, this isn't our call. And so, um, you know, so we had, we just had a conversation with the family about, you know, if you're looking for information about nutrition, or if there's a way that we can be supportive or helpful, and as you try and get used to the new grocery stores and the foods that are available to you, you know, we are here as a resource. Um, but ultimately, we respect your agency, and you get to make this call. And um, so and, and that's the first one that comes to mind. Uh, uh, otherwise, our team, I think, really, I mean, we, we get along really very well. And again, I think it's because of this mutual respect. And, and when we have disagreements, we kind of try and talk them out and say, okay, well, what, what are we really trying to accomplish here? And if sometimes when we can unwind things, it's easy to sort of figure out what the right, right answer is. So uh, no, I, I can't say that that's been a real issue. Rick, am I forgetting something? Or is there other, am I, have I blocked something out? <laughs> Well, I think, um, <clears throat> like you said, it, it's just life and everyone has it has challenges. Uh, you know, one disappointment or, or challenge you've had is uh, finding full time employment where to be able to live in this very expensive metropolitan area uh, with a family of five. And, uh, you know, our, our example is a very ambitious father um, uh, signed up for a job at a factory with very heavy lifting uh, up to I heard 12 to 15, 14 hours a day and uh, was injured. So can no longer do that job. So we're, again, you know, getting creative on being problem solvers and let's get back and, and uh, you know, get out there and, and uh, look, look for full-time employment. Um, and that's where it's, again, it's having a team and a lot of resources available to get the connections and networking to, uh, to get, you know, to, get, to look for opportunities. Um, obviously the, you know, for me, the, uh, personal uh, successes or whatever that really are, are monumental is uh, I'll never forget uh, the first time they called home uh, to their mother and their sister who, who were left behind um, and still under a lot of threat. And just seeing the, the happiness on their faces, they, you know, they don't have to worry about their, 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 their son and her family. Um, it just meant the world. You know, it just, uh, you'll never forget that. Uh, I'll never forget that phone call. Um, also for them to experience things they've never seen before. Um, you know, walking into a, a giant or a, a Walmart is very different than uh, in Kabul and um, having them watch, run, ride the Metro for the first time. So um, all of these firsts, you get to kind of um, experience with them. And again, I'll never forget those. So those are much more fun. <laughs> like Melanie said, the, the Highs are, are uh, really get, get you up and uh, have you do this tomorrow, the next day, and uh, there are many of them. I'd just like to emphasize, again, what, um, what Melanie and Rick have said, and particularly this question of agency and independence. Um, I think it's super important when you start the relationship 
uh, for both sides to understand that the goal is over a certain period of time, I think we said 12 months, uh, Melanie and Rick, that we, we would work to uh, help the family become totally independent financially and otherwise in 12 months to the, um, to, to the best extent we could. And having an understanding on the part of the great, good-hearted, faithful, generous people who are on the teams that it is really developing the family's agency and their ability to care for themselves that we're aiming at here. And it's sometimes it's really hard because, you know, you just want to give them everything. Uh, you want to give them good advice. You want to give them tangible goods. You want to, to give, give, give. But the goal is not to uh, develop a, a situation of permanent dependency. The goal is to help them become independent. So sometimes I tend to find myself biting my tongue when I want to offer a piece of advice about how something should be done, recognizing that I, I'm there to help. I'm not there to guide or direct uh, the family in what they're doing, but to help them as they move along that path towards fi financial and other independence in the society. And I'm sure that our relationship will not end after 12 months, but I'm hopeful that we'll have, the family will be independent and then our relationship will move to sort of a new stage. You know, the idea that the end goal for these folks, we absolutely want them to be self-sufficient so that they can move move forward, you know, and build their own lives kind of and have um, agency, which is so important in this process. So as we're uh, walking alongside these folks, can you speak about um, how that's been the whole six months and then what your future plans uh, going forward kind of look like, either whether that's relationally or uh, perhaps partnering with another family? or something of that nature. Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, we're, again, we're quite fortunate in that our family, first of all, um, uh, the, the father in our family is, is quite literate. So we're, it's easy to, it, it's relatively easy to communicate with him. And I would say they're very eager to um, settle in and, and become um, independent as well. So it's, it makes life a lot easier when everybody has the same objectives, right? <laughs> so, um, and the very, very first day they were here, and um, whether this is a good idea or a bad idea, I'm not sure, but I think in our case, it, it probably wasn't a, a bad idea, is you know, we sat down and we talked about um, the money that we've set aside for them and the budget we had put together. I want to just be very clear with them about, you know, our, what our support is and, and, not, and not just from a financial perspective, but sort of setting expectations about what we could and, and plan to do, wanting their input too, you know, in, in that, you know, is this going to be helpful to you and how can we best do this and just making sure, but it was, you know, it was, and it was a lot on their first day. And I know they had had a really right and early start. So we've, we've, we've circled back a few times and revisited that conversation and also adjusted it along the way too, because I think, um, you know, what we think and on day one and sort of how their lives continue to unfold, we need to be, a, we need to adjust and adapt. And so, and we have, we've made some changes both to how we support them and, and, what level of involvement we've had with them. Um, they have really found a wonderful community here, which is such a blessing and such a wonderful thing. So 
we have not been as socially engaged with them as we probably had anticipated being, but that's not for, it's for good reasons, right? You know, so as much as we had probably imagined spending the 4th of July with them or having picnics, you know, we've invited them. We, we did a wonderful walk through um, the cherry blossoms and had a picnic there. So, you know, we've done certain things with them, but Quite honestly, um, we reached out to um, them this last weekend to see if they wanted to grab a cup of coffee. And they were like, yeah, you've got plans with my friends, which is great. I'm so glad they have plans with their friends. So we didn't get together this last week. Um, I guess maybe more to the sort of technical um, and, and practical part of your question, we have set up the financial um, relationship with them so that we effectively fully financially su subsidized them for the first three months. Um, so that there was really no pressure, no expectation that they would need to contribute anything to their own um, lifestyle and just give them some time to kind of get settled, find a job. Um, and then every three months thereafter, we sort of scaled down our level of support. And again, we talked about this with them up front. Certainly, you know, if their needs or something came up, we would figure out a way to do that. We're not super duper rigid, but we wanted to have a process in place and also to you know, be very clear and communicative with them about what our, our plans were. And so far that seems to be really working. You know, we're, we're just now at the six month mark and we are about to do in our next sort of reduction in support and uh, talk to them about that and what that looks like and make sure that they're ready to take on a little bit more responsibility for their lifestyle and, and, and they seem to be doing just fine. So, um, so I, the key, well, and this is not exactly any eureka moment, but is that you just communicate, right? And keep the, the, the you know, channels of communication open so that um, as you're attentive to what their needs are and they, they, they know where you're coming from and, and hopefully you, you make it work. Melody said she thought that maybe this wasn't a bad idea to sit down with them on that first day. I actually think it was an essential thing to do because it helped get the relationship off on a very clear footing about what was happening and what wasn't happening. And if you consider their perspective coming into this new environment, this new culture, this new relationship, and not having a lot of clarity about absolutely anything, um, <clears throat> setting out clearly the goal of moving towards independence and that we were there to help them do that and our sport was geared to that and how that would work, I think was, was really crucial to start things off on the right foot. And we have worked with four different uh, refugee families now. And I can honestly say that having that conversation uh, in a very loving and compassionate and generous way at the outset of the relationship really gives you a firm foundation for moving forward. I agree. And um, the way we ran, you know, structured our team is that each team lead would first do an assessment in that area. So, you know, the home situation, the citizenship situation, the employment, um, they would first do an assessment of where the family was to start off with. And then they would come up with a plan, what is needed for them to become independent and assimilated. And um, they put together these goals and tasks, these goals and then tasks to meet the goals. And it's important to share those with with the family, you know, so that they're, they understand and um, they can actually guide us. You know, I, I do want to go in this direction. Or I don't want to go in this direction. Um, and we, we meet at a minimum monthly with the family to say how on the goals we've had, how are we doing? And do, do we need to adjust them? And do you need help meeting your goals? 
Um, as an example, you know, we, we've had the employment. I'll, I wanted to, to uh, you know, he first wanted to do um, be a, a bank teller and we, the language didn't allow that right now. So we're focusing on improving the English so he can get that uh, sort of that type of a career. Um, so then he moved to, well, I want to be a, a, a truck driver, or a, you know, a CDL driver. And, you know, it, it took um, some education there on the training and the funding to be able to do that. So then move to a different area. So, it, you know, you, you have to react and uh, adjust the goals appropriately. <clears throat> but um, having them buy in to the process and understand that, um, you know, they're stepping up every, every uh, three months with more responsibility um, makes it there's, so there's no surprise, right? And, and they're really, uh, they're on board with it and agree with it, that that's the approach. So I guess, what would you say to folks who really want to be involved in this work, but maybe they don't have the most rigorous background, either in refugee resettlement or, you know, any of these areas that your team so, so greatly support? Uh, what would you say to them? Well, I think I would say kind of what, um, what Anne said a bit earlier is that don't let perfect get in the way of good. We are all, we are all learning this as we go. I have no background in this whatsoever. Um, but I do know that I, I, I can figure things out if I make the right phone calls or I tap on the right, no matter what, you're going to be more valuable to them than not being there. Even if you're, and, and, and each, each person on your team will figure out where they're going to be able to plug in and add the most value, but, and you're going to make mistakes and just accept that. I mean, we're all, we're, we're all kind of <laughs> bumbling through this somewhat together, but um, if, if you just are trying and they know they have an ally or a companion on this journey, then um, you're, going to, you're going to have a positive impact with or without question. I think uh, for me, you know, the advice I would give is, number one, you don't have to do all of it yourself. Get a team. Um, you, you, if, you, if you have a comfort in one of these areas on, on wanting to help the family, then, then you're qualified because you're going to have a team that work, works on uh, various areas. Um, and the second thing I would recommend is um, reach out to folks who've done it before. And uh, you can save a lot of uh, learning and missteps just by, you know, learning from others. So, um, you know, we've learned a lot from other groups and we're happy to help, you know, provide advice. We, we've had a couple um, sponsor circle families or who, who are applying uh, talk to us about what it's like and the, the good and the bad and what to expect. And um, so we, if we all share our experiences, it makes it so much easier. Um, but if, if you're interested in, uh, in, you know, coaching a family, and I, I think it's a lot of it is like being a parent in some ways um, to be able to help these folks uh, become independent. And it's in a much more, con obviously, a concentrated time than, than uh, raising a child. But um, it's, you know, what a heck of a rewarding experience that's strategic uh, to the family and, and their offspring. So um, it's, I, I think it's a great experience. I completely agree with both Melanie and Rick. Um, and the main thing to recall, remember is that you're not doing this alone. There, there are many faith communities or civic associations or civic groups that have uh, done this work and that you probably have a network of some kind in your neighborhood of people who are involved with refugee work. We're lucky to be right at the center of it here in our neighborhood. And we know that we can reach out to so many uh, other, to other nonprofits 
to other faith communities, to civic associations like our Rotary Club or the Bethesda Chamber of Commerce or other groups that want to help. Um, we know that we can reach out to the Community Sponsorship Hub and the Sponsor Circle uh, team for advice and guidance as, as needed on if we run into something that we just don't know how to deal with. So have faith in yourself. Um, think about moving yourself from even in the United States, from one city to another, everything you have to do to do that, plus learn a new language and a new culture. And you can get sort of a sense of, of what you do, but you could do that. And you can help this, these families that are coming into our situation do it. And you do not have to do it alone. You have lots of support out there, people who will be partners, provide advice, uh, provide support. Yeah, I, I think a couple examples uh, it, it really surprised me. So uh, we were having trouble locating their um, employment cards. And so one of our team members uh, put a note on the listserv in their neighborhood. And within two hours, we had a contact inside you know, the agency that was able to locate those cards for us. So just reaching out. Another you know, example is uh, you know, our, our, the parents of our family have not had any dental um, health care in their entire life. And so they need some major work, uh, you know, uh, root canals and replaced teeth that is very expensive and not covered by um, a Medicaid. So again, get, putting the word out there, we found uh, we have to find multiple dentists who, who want to work pro bono to be able to get this work done. Um, and just people want to help. And this is what's so wonderful part of the experience. Uh, it's not, you know, they're just a big community out there. They want to help. Um, a lot of it is just they don't know, they need specific, you know, how can I help? So you're able to make that specific request and they say, you know, I don't know how to help this room, but I know someone who can and they, you know, people are wonderful. And I'd like to add something, if I may, about the whole, uh, this whole experience. It's, it's an extremely important faith experience, absolutely. And we've talked about the many ways that that's the case. You know, it's also a great thing to do as a good citizen because America benefits from the great diversity we always have in our history of having people coming from all over the world with the passion, uh, seeking freedom, seeking a better life. And when we welcome those folks and help them settle, they contribute so much back to our society, so much back to our communities. So it's really a wonderful uh, life experience to walk in partnership with a refugee family. You're contributing in so many ways at so many levels, and it's all good. So I really want to encourage people to undertake this experience and know that they will have a lot of support and help in doing it. And, you know, it actually, what you just said, Anne, made me think, um, and this is a very selfish comment, but um, that now knowing our family, all of a sudden Afghanistan is a country that now means something to me. Whereas um, previously I live in a fairly small world and I'm not very well traveled, but now, and, and just yesterday I was listening to this podcast on, on the history of, of Afghanistan and it just, it it had such different meaning to me now that I feel like I have this attachment to it, you know, that I know the people who come from there and, and I care about them. And now, so I care about their history and I care about their, their land of um, origin. So it, it is personally um, been an, an, a very, um, a, a growing experience and it's helped. I, I just made, I think hopefully made me a better person or helped me to open my eyes to things that I hadn't previously been paying attention to.
And what a powerful thing that is, you know, fusing, you know, their experience of home with your experience of home. And when you understand that in someone else's context, how, what a beautiful thing that happens there. You're both connected on such a different level. And so one of the things we like to ask um, our guests on this podcast, it is called the Hometown Podcast. So we like to ask folks uh, what home means to them and maybe how it's evolved over time for you. I mean, the first thing, the two words that come to my mind. Yeah, no, no, it's a great question. It's one that um, it really, it's, it really can mean a lot. I mean, for me, it's a place where I feel loved and safe. And, and, and I know, I mean, certainly as a mom, that's what we wanted for our kids. And I think as a sponsor circle team leader, that's what we want for our family, that they feel safe and loved. Um, well, um, I'll have to confess here that before I became a deacon in the Episcopal Church, I was a U.S. diplomat for over 30 years and spent a good part of that time uh, living abroad. So America was definitely my home, but I spent a good part of my not life not living in it. And I know very well that home is relationships. Home is where you have that network of relationships and community. And it can be in your family, it can be in your community, it can be physically in the confines of your country, but it can also exist outside. It's the relationships. And so when I think about making uh, people who are coming to our country for the first time feel welcome. I think home is where the relationships are. And that's home is where your heart is, home is where the relationships are. And uh, if we give that, if we can build that strong network, that foundation of relationship and caring, true caring, then I think we have developed home. Yes, and that, that's what came to my mind as well. It's, it's basically the, the relationships and the connections. So starting with my immediate family, um, including the, the pets. Um, uh, I then, you know, think uh, my, my neighbors, very, very close to my neighbors. Uh, we, we, you know, the, the de decorating the bikes for the, uh, the July 4th parade, uh, things like that. We have, you know, a picnic twice a year or once a year in our, in our neighborhood. And then moving out to the community, the church and um, the, being able to walk down to the local restaurant that, and you know see see faces and so on that you recognize. So basically, it's it's uh, the community um, and the relationships. Well, I just want to thank you all so much for you know sharing a bit about your journey with all of us, and um, thank you so much for the spectacular work that you and all of your teams have done to really create a sense of home for our newest neighbors. Thanks for letting us be a part of this. Thanks for all the support. Thanks for hosting, Stephanie. Listeners, thank you for joining us for today's episode. For more resources and opportunities to get involved with Episcopal Migration Ministries, be sure to visit episcopalmigrationministries.org. You may also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. This critical work in ministry would not be possible without listeners and supporters like you. To continue to support the Ministry of Welcome, you can make a gift to Episcopal Migration Ministries. With your help, we will continue to welcome and resettle refugees in communities across the country, offer support to asylum seekers, and create beloved community for all of our immigrant siblings. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. 
Our theme song composer is Abraham Owenda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahamowenda.bandcamp.com. Until next time, peace be with you and with all those you consider home.